Self-worth is the unlock. Yeah, I think I just became that. I became what I was missing, what I was lacking. And I found security in that. And when you find security in that, then you begin to attach to that. So I began to develop this attachment to mixed martial arts, to fighting, to competition as my way to value my value. Welcome to the Self-Care Savage podcast. A self-care savage is a term that I've coined that combines elements of self-care in a more assertive and bold approach to taking care of oneself and growing their self-worth. On the Self-Care Savage podcast, we will explore how self-care and self-worth are always in the driver's seat in all parts of our lives and how we act and react to life. If you haven't already, go ahead and hit that subscribe button and take a quick second to give the podcast a rating and a review. That's how we grow and reach more people to spread the message. So happy with who we have on today's podcast, Misha Tate. She has a large following on Instagram, 2 million plus people. She is a woman warrior mom, former UFC strike force bantamweight champion, and Celebrity Big Brother Season 3 winner. And we talk about all of these things, social media, a little about the fight game, Celebrity Big Brother and what it took to win that, a little bit about Maisha, talks about her self-worth and where it comes from. And also we get on the subject of food and dieting and how that affects us in our lives. So I'm so excited and grateful to have um, Misha, Misha Tate on the show. And Misha and I connected on uh, Instagram. I don't even remember how that happened, but I was uh, looking at your page back then. And I kind of what caught my interest was, was not just that you were, you know, a UFC Bantamweight champion, Strikeforce champion back from 2016. But as I was looking through your page, I think one of the things that intrigued me is I'm really big with social media because that's how I communicate with the world. And and um, that's kind of how my platform has grown in the community. With your stuff, you you seem to be a little more engaged and a little different than most. I think a little bit in, in what you do as well. Uh, and you're, you seem to be very positive and you seem to be, you, you've got a family, you've got your kids. There just seems to be a little bit more softness about you <laughs> than, than most people that, you know, come from a little bit of a, your, the environment that you, you know, you're known for, which is the fighting. Yeah. I mean, I think that's part of where I get the nickname cupcake from is that people used to underestimate me beginning part of my career and in a combat sport really the last thing you want to be referred to is something soft and sweet you know a cupcake right you don't want to be the cookie on the team right um but that kind of was how I feel like I was interpreted by a lot of people and I would have uh, women who would call me out just because they didn't think that I would be a tough fight and they would judge a book essentially by its cover but I have a, quite a polarity, I think, to my personality. I do have a very 
soft and like delicate side to me. I think I'm a very nurturing person. I like to help people. I love to be, I love being a mother. I love cooking. I love, you know, baking. I bake our own bread for our family. I'm very domestic in a lot of ways. But on the other hand, I have this part of me that loves competition. I love to push myself outside of my comfort zone. And that allows me to kind of save that space that I, maybe, maybe the, uh, even the frustrations that you build up through the day, I'm able to have a, a place where I can really release kind of those, um, tensions, I guess, if you will. And for me, you know, being a, a fighter in the UFC is always been just a part of who I am, but I think other people kind of look at it and go like, wow, that is so interesting because it's such a different, again, like a polarity, a balance, I guess, that maybe is not what you would expect. Like, I think when you think UFC fighter, you probably don't think of a woman for foremost or with long hair or lashes on or heels or dress, much less a mom of two small kids who um, really enjoys nothing more than gardening and baking. So, and what I see and feel is you're very authentic. So it's, this is me and this is when I'm here or here or in the world you're in like that, just from me looking in, you know, I think there is a lot of having to, for the other fighters. And again, I'm not so sure how deep it goes, but it does seem to be a lot of, that's the persona that they just put out everywhere. And, and I think what you said was, is you love, you know, you're very nurturing. You love being a mom. You love cooking and doing all things. You know, I'm not so sure you're going to catch a whole lot of other fighters, you know, uh, putting that out as a, as a plus in their lives. Because I think, you know, uh, of what they need to put out. Maybe I'm wrong. But I, I think one of the things I was looking at, too, is the last fight you had. It was Avila, right? Yep, Avila. And I remember seeing a clip of something where you were with your daughter. And I think she said something to you. I don't know if she was, y'all were at the hospital and I think y'all were talking to each other. I, I couldn't, I can't remember exactly what it was, but y'all were both evidently beat up a little bit. But I think your daughter asked you something like about, you know, are y'all friends or why are yeah. y'all being nice to each other or something? Because the last thing I heard before the clip cut off was you telling her, well, we can be friends too. You said something to that effect. Yeah, that was the that was the same night of our fight. I ran into my opponent post-fight down in the lobby area or right outside the elevators, I should say. And mind you, she's a mom too. Her daughter is younger than mine, probably about seven or uh, somewhere around that, eight to 12 months. So... When Amaya saw me give a hug to her and we were just kind of chatting and really were just engaging in, you know, amicable talks, I thought that was a teachable moment for my daughter because the last thing that she saw was me kicking Avila's ass and beating her down, taking her down, punching her and choking her out. Last inter and only interaction my daughter ever saw with me and this woman. And so when I ran into her after the competition, I thought it was a great opportunity to explain that there's no hard feelings. I'm not angry at this woman. I never was. It's a competition and that we can be friends outside of it. And that sport is separate from, you know, anger and violence and all the things I think that for the person who is not very familiar with our sport might associate with what we do. But for me, more than a physical chess game, 
And it's really like sit, sitting down to play a game of chess where you try to strategize how to disassemble the person in front of you and whatever skill set that they have put down on the table or in the octagon, so to speak, whatever skill set they have, you have to find a way to maneuver around, take out and conquer. And you're looking for checkmate. So that's how I look at the skill sets that we built. And I thought it was a good opportunity to show my daughter that we can be friends and, and be nice. And you know, that's sportsmanship. I do want my daughter to understand sportsmanship. I want her to have good sportsmanship. Thank you to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy service, and it's 100% online. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 30,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. To get started, you just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. That way, BetterHelp can match you with the right therapist from their network. Then you can talk to your therapist however you feel comfortable, whether it's via text, chat, phone, or video call. You can message your therapist at any time and schedule live sessions when it's convenient for you. If your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. With BetterHelp, you can get the same professionalism and quality you expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you, more scheduling flexibility, and at a more affordable price. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash SelfCareSavage. That's Better, H-E-L-P dot com slash SelfCareSavage. Yeah, I thought that was great. Uh, I appreciated watching that. And I, you know, after that fight too, I remember you were, you were certainly, you know, again, your messages that you seemed to put out were, you were, you know, uh, not giving up, talking about not giving up and absolutely yeah. never give up, never on yourself, things like that, which of course, you know, that's obviously something that you're, you really push because I've heard you say that before, but I, I looked at something else where you were, is it, is his name Mighty? Is that, yeah. is that he's referred to? And I was watching that and I was watching you tell him that you had watched him on Rogan. So I went back and looked at that a little bit, but, and it was, I just thought that was interesting. This is the part I think is what a lot of people don't do is you, you, you had said that like he was asking you about how you felt after the win or, or, you know, kind of what your emotions were. I think it was a little bit along those lines, but you know, you had said that, yeah, you're a lot of your identity was tied into the outcome. Yes. And that you would listen to him on Rogan talk about, you know, doesn't matter what happens. You know, when I walk back into life, my life is what it is. My family, the people that love me, the whatever I don't, but it's, so it's not, and, and you, you took that, you know, as something that really kind of, I don't know if it woke you up or it just kind of made you start thinking different or see things different. Yeah, it changed my life. My whole perspective with that shift, it changed my whole life because I went through a really ugly time period, which I'm grateful for the growth from it. But I went through a time where my identity was very much tied to the outcome of competition. So if I won, I was a winner. And if I lost, I was a loser. That's a really tough place to be when you feel like you are only worth the outcome of an of a single event that's your entire where does that come from i mean was that is that part of where you when you growing up or where does that come from because you mentioned self-work that you know that's that's my game is yeah so 
I think it certainly had in large part to do with my childhood. Um, I wouldn't say that I had a, a terrible childhood by any means, but, um, my dad and I went through a really difficult time where from about 13 to 16, we didn't really even barely speak. We just didn't understand each other. He didn't understand me transitioning from child, you know, from girl to woman. Um, and we just eye to eye and we really had a really difficult time. It was just silent. We'd pass each other in the hallway and we would just wouldn't even look at each other. It would just like the silent treatment. And yeah, I mean, I think that my mom, she worked really, really hard. She loved us a lot, but she, you know, my dad worked a lot. My mom worked a lot. And I think I, with the lack of a strong male presence in my life, you know, it's not that my dad didn't love me, but my dad, who is actually my stepdad technically, but he raised me since I was two and a half years old. So, you know, he's my father, but I now have a relationship with my biological father as well. But there was just a period of time where I really felt abandoned knowing that my biological father wasn't really in my life until, you know, later. And then my, my, my dad who raised me, who was like my everything, we just all of a sudden had these big falling outs. And so without having someone to really fill the the father figure at that time, I think in those crucial years as a young woman developing, I think there are two kinds of women. And I think the majority probably fall in the category of if you don't have a strong male energy in your life, you become that strong male energy. You have no choice. It's sink or swim. And I think that I absorbed the feeling like I had to do something. I had to provide for myself because nobody was going, you know, I wasn't going to have the consistency in my life from a male figure to have security. So I had to create it myself. I had to become the masculine energy to balance that out. And I think uh, it's so interesting now that I look at masculine and feminine energy, and I'm really starting to learn more of that. And I think that's what now having a strong partner and a strong male um, who does support me in what I do. And I've already made a career in fighting and all the things, but it's really allowed me to balance right back into the feminine energy of being a mom, being um, domestic, really filling in those shoes that I really loved. But early in my life, I didn't have that. And so I, I began wrestling. I began seeking out things that would nourish the strength in me and help me find that and harness that and hold on to it because that was what I was missing. And so the part that was already there was just kind of um, turned shut off. Like the more feminine energy side was a little bit more uh, the deep feminine energy. You know, I mean, I still obviously was girly, like physically, um, I always embraced being feminine. But I was looking to fill the shoes of masculine energy. And I think that's really what got me into wrestling and being around the male counterparts and feeling like I had some security in that. And then moving into fighting, I also was, I think, you know, chasing the strength. I don't need anybody. I don't need a man. I don't need anybody. I can do my own. I can protect myself. I can protect my mom. I can do that. And so I think it kind of pulled the tomboy in me out. Then it became so important to me because Again, I think emotionally and mentally, that was the part that I was missing. And yeah, I think that I, I really, in missing that part, I think I just leaned so heavily into it. And even once I began to, you know, I, I have a great relationship with 
but my dad, both actually now, I mean, great, great relationships, you know, it's just, they did the best that they could. It's not easy being a parent. I can understand that, you know, and I know that they both loved me, but they all had, you know, everybody has their own, you know, stuff going on and we just don't always know exactly what to do. So I certainly don't blame them at all. I think they did absolutely the best that they could provided for me, loved me, you know, but I think children need so much more than that. And it's not till recently we're kind of understanding the more about the psyche of a child's brain and the development and what they actually need. So yeah, I think I just became that I became what I was missing, what I was lacking. And I found security in that. And when you find security in that, then you begin to attach to that. So I began to develop this attachment to mixed martial arts, to fighting, to competition as my way to value my value. That's how it started with the system. And it's kind of, um, yeah, I look back at it now and it's very diabolical. It was very, it wasn't good for me in the sense that it didn't provide the balance that I really needed, but it was the low hanging fruit, so to speak. That was just, and I, and, and I lacked perspective. I was young, you know, I didn't know it's just what felt right. And so I just dove into it so deep that I didn't have really any other way to understand how to value myself outside of being a fighter. You know, it's it, everything you said, it, it just, it's, it's all fits into how most people see it as a, as sometimes a, you know, what was missing and, you know, how, you know, things could have been different. The, the like the point I'm trying to make, look at where you are now and look at all the things you've accomplished. And it was a lot fueled just by the life you did have. You yeah. know, it's what brought you to it. And you never know. I, my son, my oldest son told me one time, he's 29 now. And this was four or five years ago. And as you know, as you get older, you when you start having maybe conversations with your parents, you start, you know, bringing up something or asking questions about why this was this way or what this was. And I remember he was talking about something. Can't remember exactly. We talk about it a little bit, but it, he had some challenges with some things. And I asked him, I said, you know, would you like to go back or would you wish it to that it was different? And he said to me, I'll never forget this. And it it was just uh, it woke me up, even though it's so simple and I kind of knew it. It just it hit me when he said it. He said, Dad, he said, I wouldn't change one thing. One thing that was said to me, one thing that was done, anything that's happened, that anything, because I would not be exactly who I am today. And, and that's when I thought, you know, that's that's really amazing. And that's almost walking through your existence, just forgiving, just, you know, understanding. You just said how your, you know, you're both your dad, your biological dad and your stepdad did the best they could. You recognize that they did the best they could. I had an extremely volatile relationship with my alcoholic father. Um, and, you know, he was my, my monster for so long uh, until I forgave him, started looking at it different. You know, again, it's, it's you know, no, nobody uh, is to be let off the hook, but once you understand and, and you get it and realize that you stop letting it control you and have power over you and lead you down the road of the decisions you make, and then you do wonderful things with your kids, it just, it changes. And the earlier you get that, which you got it a lot earlier than I did, of the way you see things and think and how you operate and how you present yourself, you know, you, you're leading by example. 
Um, and that's just one of the big things with me too. You know, we can, we're humans. We will mess up, make mistakes, all kinds of things we'll do inappropriate. But, you know, do you take responsibility? Are you 100% accountable for your life? That's a leader. You know, that, that, that's, so I loved, I, I mean, I appreciate you, you talking about that. It still brings me to perspective of where people come from. But go ahead. Did you want to say something else around that? Ask you a question. Did you um, struggle with alcohol yourself at any point in your life? You know what, Misha, my deal, no, I didn't. Now, my deal was food. My deal was sugar. And oh, my deal was, you know, I'm 185 pounds now, and I was 265 at one time. Yeah, no, I, I agree. If I, if I was ever going to have an addiction, that would be the one for me as well. I mean, I, I was just talking about it recently on my posts, how I have to have emotional and mental flexibility to lean in and lean out. Because I think most people think that it requires perfection in order to have a, a, a thin body or um, whatever it is that their goal is physically, if they want it to change from where it's at, they think that it's got to require perfection. But food is a tricky one because it's something you always need. So you can never just walk away from it, right? You can't alcohol or something else. And I'm not saying that that's easy by any means, but you can live without alcohol. You can live without weed. You can live with all these things, but food is something every day you have to basically be confronted with and you have to learn to have a healthy relationship with it. So, I mean, I struggled with eating disorders at one point in my life as well. And, um, you know, really kind of messing my metabolism up and whatnot, just by having an unhealthy relationship with food, because it was something that was always there and could provide an emotional difference from the state that I was doing. Um, and I didn't look at it as a drug at that time, but sugar certainly has the same effects as any other drug. And it certainly, it's got the reward and dopamine centers in the brain. But I talk about this in finding the balance is that it's the guilt part a lot of times that gets people. It's not really necessary to have guilt so long as you can have your imperfections followed by discipline. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I see the picture here. You were, and, yeah. Yeah. That was, that was my, that was how I, that's how I dealt. That's how I medicated myself. I, uh, I hated myself so much, had no self-worth yet. I thought I was covering that up. You know, but it's obvious I was 90, 100 pounds overweight, you know, and I just lived, that's how I live my life, you know, the, the and it's just like an addict, the whole behavior of hiding the food, you know, lying about having food. Look, I tell people now, you can tell me you have a thyroid issue, or you can say you have things like that. And I'm, I believe that I'm not, but would never challenge anybody in having a medical condition that, that promotes them being overweight. But I do know that how much food it takes to maintain a hundred pounds of weight extra on your body it's not because you're not just exercising yeah you are gluttony you're being a glutton you're just it's it's so that was how i didn't think that's how i went to the park and went through mcdonald's and sat there and ate that before i went home to eat dinner you know that was just that kind of behavior it's just it's 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 awful but I got over that a long time ago. I mean, I, that, that's been something, you know, this, what, that wasn't something I've just cured, but sugar's always been an up and down and I haven't had sugar since Christmas day. I'm doing, I'm trying this again. I haven't had any sugar since my birthday was on Christmas uh, and I haven't, and that's been almost six weeks now. 
that it's so hard. I, I'm not so here. I'm doing right now. Well, yeah, I'm sure you know who uh, uh, Gary Breck is. Of course. Yeah. So I'm doing that whole thing. I, I grass fed beef, grass fed butter. I eat uh, eggs. I eat uh, blueberries. They eat avocados. They eat uh, olive oil, and pretty much it. I haven't had bread. I haven't had anything. I love it. And I don't know. So anyways, we don't have to get off on, on my regimen around there or what I'm, my point is it, it's, it is a tough, it is a tough thing. Yeah. Majority of the time now, that's also what I look to eat is mostly red meats and fruits and avocados. And the only oils I use, uh, I'll use olive oil sometimes, but mostly I use butter or ghee, grass fed, grass fed meat, grass fed liver. That's what I had this morning liver. Now, I do love my carbs and I have not felt bad about not parting with bread because for the past couple of months, I've been strictly baking our own bread. And yeah, I saw that. I saw you. Yeah. Yeah. So for my family too. So I'm taking out all the processed ingredients and also using organic. So it's completely organic. Honey is the only um, sugar in there, a little bit of honey and grass fed butter is what I use to bake the bread. And so there's no preservatives. It's all organic. It's grass fed. So I feel like if I was going to meet myself in the middle somewhere, that's how I've managed to kind of have the best of both worlds. And it's become sort of therapeutic for me, you know, once a week ingredients out and I knead the dough and I make the bread and I bake it and I enjoy the smell. And I know that this is going to be a healthier choice for my family than going to the store and buying, buying a uh, wonder, whatever bread it is, you know, and putting <laughs> the, the freaking 30 to 60 ingredients in it and half of them are preservatives and probably toxic. So <laughs> that's, you know, how I saw your post, the post you put up about this week. Was it this weekend that you kind of <laughs> went yes. off a little bit? So not, I was, I was just like, yeah, I, I ate like all my almond rocas and normally I have like a decent amount of self-control. It's like one almond roca or two a week, you know, I mean, and not that I even have that that often as my dad sent me some for Christmas because they're from Tacoma. That's where they're the, the factory was born and I'm from Tacoma. And so that was very nostalgic for me. And then just like the other day he was like down here visiting and I was like, just, I ate all, all the rest of them, all of them. And I was like, I'm just, I guess this weekend is just going to be leaning into the imperfection because I want to. And if I, I believe that if I tell myself no too many times in a row, eventually it'll come back around to bite me in the butt and I'll fall off for longer and for worse. And I'll actually be dealing with stress and raised levels of cortisol and all these negative things when you consistently deprive of something you want. And some people don't look at it as a deprivation. They're able to just maintain that. Hey, good for them. I'm not one of those people, but I still walk around healthy, lean. Most people would say, Oh, I could never do what she does to, to have, you know, what she has physically. But, but for me, I want people really loud and clear to understand I am far from perfect. I had over this weekend, I was a total glutton. I had, I had <laughs> that's what I, that's again, what I appreciate about you. Yeah. Yeah. I had, I had birria it's like this Mexican dish with like lots of, I mean, oils, it was terrible. I had pizza. I had everything. I fully indulged and I did not hold back. Now I did eat healthy foods as well. I still ate my red meats and I still had my liver and I still had other things, but I did not hold back whatsoever. But then on Monday, it's a reset. I went into a longer fast. I went from 6 p.m. on Sunday until about 3 p.m. the next day. 
I didn't eat. And then I had a fasted workout that day and I broke my fast with steak and shrimp. And, and I, I leaned back into my discipline. And, and I also enjoy that about myself. I enjoy that I can do both. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to always say no. Sometimes it's like very important to say yes and, and alleviate that pressure and then just say, okay, now that that weight is off my shoulders, I can actually move forward with the my majority of the goal is the majority of the time to make good decisions. And I actually feel good about that now because I'm dealing with the weight of the constant no, I can never have that. Yeah, I think that for me uh, is what kind of led where I'm at now. Because again, I, you know, I, I'm extremely active. You know, it's not again some periods where I'm hiking 17, 20 miles a day. You know, there's just I'm burning all kind. There's just nothing really sticks in that sense anymore. Nothing settles in. But I did just turn 63. The last year and a half, I just haven't felt that great even still doing what I was doing and I started realizing that I was I was my I was getting these aches and pains and all these things were happening with inflammation that yeah. that I've I've narrowed down and so for me making this change is being the age I am now I want to live as long as I can but I also want if I'm going to live if I'm fortunate enough to live a long, long, much longer, a lot longer, um, I don't want to be, I don't want to be limited and hurting. Yeah. So that's one of the reinforcements for me right now is I feel so much more energy. Lots of the little pains that, you know, are, are have subsided. And I was, you know, I, I even got a ruck pack the other day and I've started rucking this last week. It's, it's, that's where it is for me. So I'm, I agree with you a hundred percent, you know, for me back then, the place I was in when I was your age and uh, things like that, it was, uh, you know, I was just too messed up to be able to get into a, a place like you. And, and, and that's, that's amazing. And I think that's a, that's a great way to live versus, you know, you having to then, hit these pockets. But I am grateful that, again, I do have the health I have. I, I really don't get sick even as much as I did things. But I just feel better. Sugar, the other stuff is really not overall a big deal. Uh, breads, not so much, even though they're part of craving the carbs, which, you know, whatever, however that connects. But it's the sugar. It's the ice cream. It's all that stuff. I just want it. Yeah, even honey won't throw you like some of the other like the processed sugars will because honey but I, I do believe that your body recognizes um when something is valuable when, and when it's not and it's it's funny that when it's not valuable that you still get those cravings for it but I think that's because it's empty then your body's still kind of like searching for like well where is the substance maybe if we eat more of it because we were just never meant to have that even it's it's uh it's a it's it's a deception it's a trick it's a lie it is a awful curse to be honest to have all these processes around us all the time because we never would have had that in nature if we were out picking we could have eaten blueberries until we were you know sick of blueberries and want to see another blueberry we would have been fine you know if you think about it uh, uh you know you go into a store like with blueberries 
and and I want to get I want to buy blueberries. I love blueberries, but I literally in the United States of America have to go into a grocery store and I have to choose to not buy the poison. Yeah. The poison's right there. The uh, all that stuff that's bad. It's just they don't sell in other countries, which is you know how right are they? I don't know. I'm not from there, but I'm just saying all this stuff. But I have to walk into my store and go, okay. Do I want to buy organic, something clean that's going to be really healthy for me? Or do I go ahead and risk being poisoned? I mean, that's your choice. Did you know that grocery stores are intentionally set up to get you to buy sweets? Buy. They have their produce in the first part of the store so that when you walk in and you do your healthy shopping, that psychologically you'll feel better about giving in to get something not as healthy because you've already put some healthy things in your cart. That is really interesting. That that the way they're do the way they're doing that. I can see that now that you said that. You yeah. know, it's kind of like healthy stuff. You're like, well, I mean, I got my healthy thing, so I could justify this now. Like, if you walked in, the first thing was sugar. You'd be like, okay, I'm not going to do that. Let me get to the you know the healthy section. If if you had the intention of not, but it actually works harder against you once you've put the healthy things in. Then you feel like, well, I could have you know. I could throw a thing I don't. I mean, look at, you've got sweet potatoes and steak and, you know, all these things I've already gotten. So why not? Or at the checkout, right? Why, why is it at the checkout that they right. have? I know everything. It's just right there. You can grab. Or do you go to Costco or Sam's or anything like that? Yeah, Costco. Okay. So if you need to buy toilet paper, where is it? It's uh, all the way in the back corner. Yes. All the way in the back corner. It's from the, it. Every Costco, the toilet paper, that's their number one seller, has the biggest, the big, the biggest margin of anything else. Yep, it's always set up that you have to get go walk the furthest from the front door to get to it. And that's the other reason why they you go in there and you haven't been in there in six weeks. Everything's in a different place. Because they just <laughs> yeah. So anyways, I know you're, you're on, a, on a rush. Let me see if I can get just a couple of things here. I did. So this, the big brother thing, which I find really, really uh, interesting. And, and I think because that I, I never watched, actually watched the big brother. I knew about, it. you know, you saw clips and you kind of I understood the, the premise of big brother. But there's, there's a lot of psychology that's in that. There's a lot of, isn't there a lot of misdirection, smoke and mirrors, you know, playing sides and all that. So your competitiveness and does the uh, being in that world, does that give you, did you feel like that gave you an edge or does that give you an edge in doing that? Or was it more like you talked about your upbringing and what you had to maybe manipulate through your life a little bit or? Because you, you can't have to be a manipulator to get through that, right? Yes and no. I mean, I think you would think so. And I think that I got there. I had a good combination of luck and strategy. So when you go in, there's, um, I, I can't remember, I think the 16 of us or some, something along those lines or, or, or 12 or right around in that number. I'd have to go back and count everybody's names now, which I don't care to do. So around that <laughs> And, um, you know, you have a competition the first day that you get there, basically. And then they name a head of household, which I won the first competition. So I thought, oh, great. Well, I'm going to be nobody who wins the first competition ever wins Celebrity Big Brother. 
big of a target on their back, right? And it was an athletic kind of competition where you have to hang on to these ropes and you're suspended in air like puppets, basically. They dump things on you. And so anyways, I win it. And I'm like, okay, well, great. Now I'm going to have a big target. I'm never going to make it to the end. But I had not really watched Celebrity Big Brother or Big Brother. I second, I crash course two seasons of Celebrity Big Brother before, right before I went on the show, so I could kind of even have an idea of what it was about. I didn't. I am not a good liar. I'm such a bad liar. Like, look, I'm just gonna have to be super, super honest. And either people are gonna believe me or they're not. And it's either gonna get me kicked off or it's not. But maybe if people feel like they could trust me, and I think that's my hindsight speaking. I didn't go in with that game plan. I didn't know what the hell I was gonna do. But I quickly realized like I can't lie. I'm so bad at it. And I knew people would would read my face and like so I was like, I'm just gonna be really honest and I guess if I'm gonna cut you, you'll know. And if you like if I'm coming for you, you'll know and see like see if you can assemble a team otherwise, because the other people that I tell I'm not coming for are going to know like they can trust me. So they'll still want to be on. It worked out. And I had this amazing partner in there, Todrick Hall, who was a huge celebrity Big Brother fan, huge Big Brother fan. So he knew how the whole game worked. And we were like, we're like yin and yang. So he really guided me through a lot of that. And I think me just being very honest also gave people the, the trust. But I think the thing that that capitalized for me the most was that I realized how I'm a strategist. And I function well under pressure and I can formulate a strategy to get through something better, at least than most of the people in the house. So that's really what I think got me through a lot of the competitions, because if you win a competition, you are ineligible for the competition the next week, which means that you can't really be safe every week. It's not like I got to compete in every competition, but I basically won every other competition. Almost every single competition I was in, I won. And it's just a matter of figuring out how you strategize for that specific competition. So isn't that what you would do for a fighter too? I mean, whoever you were fighting, isn't that a lot of what you just said? Yes. Functioning under pressure is something I think I do well because I have a lot of experience with it. And then putting a strategy together when you don't know what you're really going to get yourself into. I mean, because we never knew what the competitions were until we walked out. You know, it was interesting, and I don't know how much this plays into this, but it just reminded me. So I was watching this other, some of your other stuff, and you put a clip up where after that fight, this last fight, the way you took her down, you know, uh, you you put a clip together where you were showing how you, I, I, I guess that's one of your coaches or whatever, how y'all were working on that exact yep. same same deal. I mean, it, and you it kind of like, it was like, wow, it, it just look like the same thing, you know? So, I mean, that's strategy, right? That's planning. That's, you see it, you, you know, that that could exhibit itself. And now you know exactly how to, to get after it. And yes. it worked, right? Manifesting and manifesting. So I think that's where the confidence was built for me in this training camp was the repetition, 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 really knowing exactly what I wanted to go out there and do and taking the guesswork out of it. Of course, in a fight, anything can happen. So you have to really be prepared for everything. But I knew exactly what I was going to do. And I knew exactly what I, my game plan was there for me to do. So that was helpful. And I really got back to basics this last fight. I really got back to basics and finding myself again. So it had been about a year and a half, I think, since my fight prior to that, which I I tried something new. I tried to drop a weight class. I went down to 125 pounds. And I think I was just exhausted by the time I got there, if not 
physically than definitely mentally and emotionally, you know, dropping all that extra weight. And I'm already pretty lean at 135 pounds. So I really had to pull a lot of muscle off of my body. And it was, uh, it was a challenge. I'm so glad that I did it, but it wasn't the right move for me. And I lost that uh, decision in that fight. So I went back to 135 and I said, look, what got me to the dance? What was it? It was my wrestling. I was like, that's what's always made me stand out. And I need to get back to it. And I need to find a coach that's going to help me with that. So um, Kirk White was my fiance's coach at Boise State in wrestling. And he's like, I think you guys would work together really well. And I'm like, it was a godsend because the man's brilliant and he's simple. And it's exactly what I need. I like concepts. I like things that it's not just a move. It's a concept that makes all the moves better. And I think that's a great philosophy to kind of have in life too. Like, how are you going to set yourself up for success? So for example, I was thinking about this when I was driving home yesterday and um, I was like, my car is almost empty. I was like, going to have two choices right now. I can either pull over and get gas, which is going to set me up for success tomorrow because I know tomorrow I will not remember and I'll be where I need to go and I'll be late if I don't do it. But I had the kids in the car and they were freaking out. So I didn't pull over and I didn't get the gas done. I thought maybe I'll come back out later once the kids are down. I didn't do that. And so I didn't set myself up for success. So what happens the next morning? I'm in a hurry. I leave. I'm like, oh my God, you know, the car, it's empty. And I knew it. I literally had this conversation myself before. I was, I was actually aware of it because before I wouldn't be aware of it. I think, no, I'll leave early tomorrow. I'll remember that there's not enough gas in my car. No, it doesn't happen. You know? Oh, same thing. And, um, yeah, I ended up being late and you know, it, it was, it was because I, because then I was in a hurry cause I needed to get gas. So I forgot my purse. So I get to the gas station. I don't have my purse. So it's like this trickle effect of like when you get stressed and when you're in a hurry and all this crazy stuff, lack of planning basically. And I think that kind of happened for a couple fights for me where I was like, I'm just going to go out there and fight. Like I know how to fight, but I didn't like really set myself up with the best, best strategy, like the best way to ensure that I had the best success. So anyways, this coach really helped turn that around for me. And then mindfulness. I think that's something I, I don't see you labeling it necessarily, but I see you when you're on your walks and you're in the moment and you give these little motivational tidbits, which by the way, you had mentioned in the beginning, you weren't sure how Instagram happened, like how we started following each other. You popped up in my algorithm and I started following you and I'm like, this guy has some great stuff. And I went through and you would always have the same theme song. I don't think you do that with the song anymore. The problem was the licensing with that music. I have such a worldwide audience. There was, I was getting all this, not only was I getting pushback from the people that were still getting it, but the but when I was playing it, I said, I can't hear you anymore. We can't blah, 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 because they'd take my sound out too, of course, because it was attached to it. I mean, I love that there was something unique that was consistent about it, but the message was always more important. I still follow and I still share your message and everything like that. But I just remember that about that. And I was like, I don't think he does that anymore. So it just dawned on me that you don't do that as much or, or don't do it anymore. But your messages were right on track with the things that I was going through and working on myself. And so I would share them with people and I would just watch and I really enjoyed it. And I'm like, look, he's outdoors. He's hiking. I made me really jealous because I really miss hiking. You know, I, even after I had my daughter, I would like put her in a backpack and I would go hiking on my own, but now I have two kids and I'm like, I can't carry two kids. So we're not, you know, <laughs> no, but no, I, that's, that, that's nice. And, and I, you know, yeah, that's, that's the big, big thing with my message. So social media, 
just real quick. I, I mean, you, we've talked a little bit about that, but what is what exactly is social media mean to you? What, why do you why do you participate on it? What what is what is uh, what do you get out of it or not get out of it? Or what are you trying to do or not do? Well, I think social media is a double edged sword. I think it's a blessing and it's a curse. So I really worked on limiting my time and um, it's become easier and easier. But I would say the good that I'm trying to do is just spread a message about how to be imperfectly, you know, perfectly imperfect. I want people to understand that there is a balance in life that so many of us are just not, we're, we're missing or we're numbing, you know, we're self-medicating, whether it be through food or substance or anything like that. And, and there's such a better approach to life. At least I have been able to find that. I think that you have been able to find that. And I think that has been inspiring to me because I have heard parts of your story. I've followed you. I, I knew that you had some struggles and that you had an, you know, an unhealthy relationship with food and you've moved through it. And I think you've used some really healthy things, um, to help you do that, you know, to motivate others, to use your voice, um, and, and create a platform, you know, that you didn't start out with, but your message was authentic, genuine, true, and coming from a place that you, that I think a lot of people could relate to. And so when you were, were putting out these tidbits, I mean, it came to my algorithm because those are the kinds of things that people that I seek out. And so I started following you and, um, and then I think you started following me and then we connected. Um, I, I just, I, I want to do the same thing that if I'm going to have engagement on social media, I want it to be beneficial. I, I don't personally really like the mindless scrolling. Like I understand some people maybe want to un unwind and they just want to have silly things to laugh at. And there's, you know, I'm not judging anybody for that, but if you were to see my algorithm, it's all learning how to do life better. I'm all trying to learn. Um, I follow Paul Saladino, um, Gary Brecca. I'm a huge, um, Andrew Huberman fan. I have a couple podcasts actually I'd like to send to you if, since you were saying like you're not recovering quite as fast, you're feeling quite as good as you were because he's got some great information on uh, maintaining uh, recovery and whatnot, especially. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So these things, I'm just trying to do life the best. I mean, we get one go around and I personally think I want, I, I believe that we should all try to obtain as close to our personal 100 as we can our personal best, whatever that looks like. And I think so many people are suboptimal and they just have come to accept or believe that that's just the way it is. I'm just getting older, just going to be, my bones are just going to hurt. I'm just not going to feel as good. I'm just not, you know, it's just, I'm just getting older. And I'm like, that is nonsense. Yeah, I can, I can attest to that. Okay. So I could, I, I have so many things we didn't even get to. I appreciate you being so commun communicative around this do another podcast we can do this again yeah yeah because I, I again i like I, I wanted to find out about your history and your background and again what fascinates me and again um i won't get off on a long thing here but is people that are on social media that are trying to spread and be positive you know uh give people information about things they've learned you know and i see that you doing that even though you're in this this world that's very foreign to people, I think it brings you closer to them. It makes people, you know, when they see somebody that comes from a world like you do as professionally and all the other things you, then you're, you're being a mother and all the things we've talked about. I think that's, that is such an amazing thing 
that helps people. I think that helps a lot of people. Well, I don't know how you overall feel about that. And you know what? That the same with you. So I think it's great that you have a podcast going. I really enjoyed being on it today. Well, thank you so much. I really do appreciate it. Thank you for listening. And I hope my podcast has helped you in some way taking the path to becoming a self-care savage. And if you like the show, please leave a rating, a review, a comment, tell a friend. If you have a question about today's episode, there's a link in the show notes where you can send us an email.